Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys this morning. Hey, before we get into the sermon, I just want to double down on what Michael talked about with this 21 days of prayer. It starts tomorrow, in case you're wondering. Day one is tomorrow, and this has become a staple in our church. We do this every year, and uh, I'm so excited about this year, Uh, not only because we need God more than ever this year, uh, but because of the content of this prayer guide specifically. It addresses, if you read the first page, it addresses current events of this past year and then leans into those of how we do need God. Uh, And we see that through scripture and prayer. And uh, so I would encourage you to go on this journey with us over these next 21 days. And I would encourage you as well to fast. Uh, Fasting, if you don't know, is not just about removing something out of your life in a religious way. It's about replacing that something with God through his word and through prayer. And so thinking through a grid of, hey, what's robbing me of my affections of Jesus right now? What is that for you? Is it, is it, media? Is it some kind of technology? Is it some kind of food? Is it something else? And, and it's replacing that thing with community, sitting across the table from actual people and talking. It's praying together. It's looking at God's word. It's going on a walk and listening to a worship song. That's what fasting is. And I believe God's going to do great things in us and through us as we go on this journey together. So make sure you grab one of these. If you didn't already, if you're watching online, we have these online for you, a PDF. Uh, so just go to our website and you can find that there and go on this journey with us. Excited about that. Also excited about our new series, Fighting Words, that we're kicking off today. And uh, we're calling an audible a little bit earlier this week uh, as the events at our nation's capital unfolded and the crisis that we experienced as a nation as we thought we put crisis to bed in 2020. As it came right for us, as we started 2021, uh, we began to pivot from this topic of hurry. We were going to address this battle of hurry that we all face, uh, specifically the beginning of a new year and the promises in God's word to fight that battle of hurry. Uh, But Friday morning, I just felt convicted and compelled by God to pivot from that topic of hurry and switch to the topic of crisis. I tried to make a video for you guys, reflect on how we should respond to the crisis at our nation's capital as believers in Jesus, and I made like 50 videos, and I didn't like any of them, and honestly, they were all just sermons, not not little three-minute snippets that we could put on Instagram, and so I just felt God calling me to pivot, and so Friday morning, I started writing a new sermon, and so I'm going to bring that to you today on crisis, and the reality is this, we're not just facing one crisis. Like the crisis at the Capitol is not just the one crisis we're all facing. We're facing multiple streams of crisis in our lives. We're facing the crisis of a global pandemic. Uh, We're facing the crisis of racism. Racism in the present or, or the trauma of racism of our past. We're facing the crisis of riots, not just that one, but other riots and and violence and protests and polarization and and all these sorts of divisions and crisis that we're facing uh, abroad in our world. But the reality is we're also facing crisis at home and in our heart. Some of us are just facing crisis in our marriage. And maybe there were some problems in your marriage before 2020, but they have risen to the surface and somehow multiplied. And you're thinking, I'm facing that crisis. Some of you are facing a crisis of faith because as you look at the crisis in our world, it's causing you to understand or misunderstand who God is and, and, and what is my faith about and is it really real? And you're, you're facing a crisis of faith or, or sin. Some of us are facing a crisis simply of losing a job or, or sending our kids to school amidst a pandemic and the fear associated with that. Some of us, like my family, we're facing the crisis of keeping our kids at home in online school. Pray for me. 
during the midst of this crisis. And we're all facing not one crisis, but multiple streams of crisis. And we have to ask, how do we respond? And not just how do we respond to crisis, but how do we respond to crisis as the people of Jesus? See, this week I got a little alert on my phone, and you did too if you, got, if you have an Apple iPhone. I got this little alert that said, hey, what was the, mom, the mob at the nation's capital hoping to accomplish? And in the, the next line of that alert, it said, uh, self-care tips for the biggest stresses in your life. And I'll be honest with you, the, the crisis that was evoked in my heart and mind as I read the, the mob at the Capitol line it wasn't helped by their self-care tips. You see, as Christians, we, we need something greater. As people, we need something greater. And as Christians, we have something greater. It's the promises of God to fight the battle of crisis that we're all facing. And so we're going to look at that today. How do we respond? And what we're going to see is this promise, and I'm going to give it to you now. You can take, uh, write this down if you take notes. It's this, that God still conquers even through the greatest crisis. God still conquers even through the greatest crisis. We're going to see how that's true. We're going to see how it can be true in your life, and not just despite the crisis, but through the very crisis that you are going through, that God still conquers even in the midst of that. So look at God's word with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Turn to your New Testament. Pull a Bible app up on your phone. Go to BibleGateway.com. If you're at home, uh, we'd love for you to join in with us and look at God's word, not just listen to my word. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Here's our first point, if you take notes. In the midst of crisis, we pray as our first response, not our last resort. We praise our first response, not our last resort. Look at verse one with me. Paul starts off telling Timothy, hey, first of all, and I urge that there's a priority and an urgency to do what? To pray. He says it in different types of ways, supplications, prayers, intercessions. Those are all synonyms saying, talking to God, praying to God, giving him all of your thoughts, all of your requests, and unloading them before him. But he also says thanksgivings. That's a different type of prayer. It's thanking God for what he's doing, even in the midst of your crisis, and thanking him for what he has done. And Paul says, hey, there's a, there's a priority and there's an urgency. This is the first thing that you should do. This is what I urge you to do. And some of us hear that and we say, so great, Tim. So in the midst of crisis, how are we supposed to battle it? Just first thing you do, urgently do this, pray. That's it. I mean, maybe for Paul and Timothy that worked because they didn't really have crisis in their life in Bible times. And so maybe they weren't foreseeing all the crisis we were going to be facing in our time. And maybe they were just misunderstanding the gravity of this situation calling us to pray. You see, I think we, we need to reframe what prayer really means. That many of us, we've seen the lines on our Facebook timeline, hey, get off your phones and get on your knees. 
And we see that and we're like, what a trite statement. How naive. And we need to see, hey, hey, prayer, it's not a trite statement. It's not a positive, encouraging, K-love thing to say. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not just a moment of silence in your day. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of seeing and living and acting and talking that's entirely dependent on God, not yourself. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us, pray without ceasing. Some of you have heard that verse before, and you're like, how is that even possible? I mean, I have work to do. I have people to talk to. I mean, that would be rude if I was just praying to God while I'm supposed to be talking to my spouse. What is it talking about? Pray without ceasing. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. It's an entire dependence upon your creator. That's what prayer is. That's why when somebody says, hey, get off your phone and get on your knees, you should actually do that. There's power there, especially in the the face of crisis. That's why Paul says it's the, the priority and the urgency of your life. It's prayer. And so we do need to pray in the midst of crisis. We do need to put crisis and prayer in their correct context. You see, in Timothy's day, they had crisis. They had a, an emperor, the, the worst emperor of all of history, the most cruel emperor to Christians, Nero, at that time about 60 AD, who was brutally killing Christians. He even killed his mom, who I don't know if she was even a Christian, but that's the kind of thing Timothy was dealing with. And yet Paul says, pray. We all know from First and Second Timothy, Timothy was a young guy leading a young church. There were false teachers. He was up against that crisis as well. And Paul says, yeah, you need to pray first with urgency because it's a lifestyle of depending on God. It's John 15, 5, where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That it is square one for all of us, especially in the midst of crisis, that we pray. So we need to pray. If we call ourselves Christians, we need to soak our minds in prayer, soak our minds in the prince of peace if we want to see peace in the midst of crisis. You see, I think the reality for a lot of us, instead of soaking our mind in prayer and God's word and a lifestyle of dependence on God, we're soaking our mind in anxiety and anger. That as we see all these crises, the multiple streams of crises building in our lives, that our focus, our gaze, isn't what Colossians 3 tells us to do. Hey, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. That our focus isn't on on the things above, and it's not on Jesus through prayer and a lifestyle dependence on God. It's not on those things. It's a focus on what's right in front of us and the tyranny of the urgent and the crisis of the moment. See, I felt this in my life early on in the pandemic, just a few months in. I was just like you, seeing all the injustices in the world, seeing all the riots, seeing the pandemic. And I was thinking, I've never lived through anything like this. And yet I'm a pastor. And so I'm supposed to shepherd people on how they should live in the midst of this. And so I got to be plugged in at every moment. I got to give a formal statement at every tragedy. And every injustice, i got to be fine-tuned on this pandemic so that we can restart church in a healthy and safely uh, way. And so I'd wake up in the morning and I'd read my news feed about all the trauma and all the chaos and all the crisis. And I would stop during work and I would listen to it on a podcast, all the trauma, all the outrage, all the injustice. And I would go to bed at night watching CNN or Fox News and seeing all the trauma and all the riots and all the crisis and all the injustice. You know what I was doing? 
I was soaking in outrage. I was soaking in anxiety. I was soaking in anger. And so it's no wonder when I would be at dinner with my kids and they would ask to pass the ice cream and I would lash out at them for no reason. Anybody do that over the last year? I'm just like, why did I do that? Why am I so angry? It's because my input leads to an output. And if I soak in anger and anxiety and outrage, that's what my output is going to be. And so Paul says, no, 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 focus on God. Soak your mind in his truth. And it's not that you're ignorant to the news or the crisis around you. No, you're aware of it. It's not that you're ignorant to it. You're just an influencer in the midst of it. See, what separates the Christian from the culture is in the midst of crisis, we don't just have panic. We have prayer and peace because we're soaking our minds and our hearts in something different than everyone else. Do you see that? So the question this morning is, what is shaping the contours of your mind? What are you soaking in in the midst of crisis? Is it prayer? Is it the word of God? Is it dependence on him? Or is it the anxiety, the crisis, the outrage that's all around you? You need to know this, church, that there are mediums, there are platforms, there are news channels, there's clickbait, there's headlines that is directly constructed and designed for your outrage and for your anxiety because they know they need clicks and because they know if they give a middle voice or a reasonable voice, they won't get them. You won't watch. And so when that alert came across my phone, what was the mob thinking? You don't think they knew that would evoke crisis in my heart? Yeah, they did. I'm not saying every news channel is bad. I'm not saying every social media platform is bad. But what I'm saying is you, Christian, in the midst of that crisis, you need to be aware of what's going on, but you need to be fully in tune with the word of God and his Holy Spirit in the midst of it. That's how we fight the battle of crisis in our life. We pray We lean into a true meaning of prayer and dependence on God. Second thing is this. We pray and pursue kingdom purposes over and above worldly positions. Look at verse 2. We see we should have all sorts of prayer for all sorts of people. He says pray for all people. He specifically mentions kings, people in high positions. When he says all people, that all people in the Greek is all people. That's the people you don't like. That's the people you didn't vote for. That's the people that you disagree with. That's the leaders that you consider enemies. That's the people across the aisle from you politically that you consider your enemy. You pray for all people, including kings and high positions. And remember, the context of Timothy's day. Who's ruling? Who's in a high position in that day? It's Nero, the one who killed his mom, the one who's brutalizing Christians for their beliefs. And as Paul writes this to Timothy, as Timothy reads this, I got to imagine he's like, pray for all people, kings, high positions. Timothy's thinking, not Nero, not praying for that guy. I wonder how many of us would respond the same way today. Not Donald Trump, not not Joe Biden. I mean, not that news channel and that side of the aisle, not that friend on Facebook. No, I blocked him. I'm definitely not praying for him. No, as, as Christians in the, in the face of crisis, how do we respond? Kingdom purposes over worldly positions. We are distinct 
as Christians in the midst of crisis in that way. We pursue kingdom purposes over worldly positions. Uh, I love this. My wife and I have been watching this series called The Chosen. It's where Jesus uh, chooses his disciples and they begin to journey with him. I would actually highly recommend it to you. It's not a cheesy Christian film. It's very well done and we've been enjoying it. And one of the things I love most about this series is Jesus picks his disciples. It shows their background and it shows how different the tax collector is from the zealot. You see, a zealot in that day was somebody who was committed to overthrowing the government. A tax collector in that day was somebody who worked for the government. And what's the sense of humor of Jesus, uh, the unity of Jesus is he says, both of you, you're coming with me to follow me. And I got to just imagine as Jesus were to call the zealot and say, hey, you're following me, the zealot would say, okay, Jesus, I'm so excited. Thank you for that privilege. And the tax collector would say the same thing. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for considering me. I'm so excited to follow you. And as they're looking at Jesus, they would be excited. But as they would see one another, they would say, wait a second. No, I'm out. I didn't know you were going to bring the zealot. I didn't know you were going to bring the tax collector. And what's amazing about Jesus is Jesus doesn't just call them to like get along with each other. He says, hey, we're going to work together on the same team. There is inner circle, tax collector and zealot. Kingdom purposes over worldly positions. How are we pursuing that in the same way today? Listen, if you were to look across the aisle and you were to see voter registrations in this room and online, you would see, brace yourselves, take a deep breath. You would see some Republicans and some Democrats. You would see some independents who are politically homeless. You would see differences If you looked at people's context and their background and their personality and their ethnicity, you would see differences, not just out there, but in the church of Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus says, yeah, you come on. Yeah, you come on. And not just like, don't look at each other and don't rile each other up. No luck arms with one another and work together on the same mission. That's our Jesus. He's not just calling for middle ground. He's breaking new ground. He's building a new kingdom that's entirely over and above worldly positions. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are first a citizen of his kingdom. Over and above your citizenship in this country or whatever country you may be living in as you watch this. And we operate against a different metric, against a different standard than the culture around us, specifically in the midst of crisis. My question to you today, Christian, if you call yourself one, is are you? Are you, if you looked at your life over the past week as we experienced this crisis at our nation's capital, capital, if you looked at your post on social media, if you looked at your thoughts, your words, your actions, are you any different in that crisis from our culture? We should be. That's what distinguishes us. See, as, as Peter, uh, rather, as Paul calls us to pray for all sorts of people and all sorts of prayers, he gives us a goal to pray for. He says to pray for peace. Verse two, look at that verse. A peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, that we are to be distinct, seeking after peace as we pray and pursue other people who are different than us in our lives. We are to be the agents and carriers of peace. And again, just like prayer, some of us hear that word peace and we think, okay, another trite Christian word. So naive, we just need peace. Like we should just all get along, right, Tim? 
Like we should just avoid the sensitive issues and just sing kumbaya and hold hands. Is that what peace is? No, we see it even in this text. If you continue reading, we see that God doesn't just desire peace. He's a God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of a truth, that we have a peace that is truth-saturated and salvation-centric. That's the kind of peace we have as believers in Jesus. When we say peace, that's what we mean. It's not avoiding issues. It's truth-saturated. It's salvation-centric. You see this in the life of Jesus, right? I mean, did Jesus withhold the truth just so everybody could get along? No. As Jesus sees the Pharisees, does he say, hey, you know what? Now that I've thought about it, they have some good points. I mean, just listen to them, and if you disagree, don't say anything. Don't ruffle any feathers. Hey, just walk away. Now do we see Jesus in front of the Pharisees and a lot of other people saying, woe to you, Pharisees. You are whitewashed tombs truth-saturated peace. He says, I'm going to speak the truth to you, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. And yeah, that's peace. I'm going to call you out of that into true peace, into true repentance. It's a truth-saturated peace. It's a salvation-centric peace. You see Jesus interacting with Zacchaeus. He was one of those tax collectors. That wasn't just his job. That was his identity. He was an enemy of every person. Nobody liked Zacchaeus. Nobody liked tax collectors. And yet Zacchaeus is up in a tree trying to see Jesus one day. And I think in our day, if that same scenario were to happen, whoever the tax collector of our day or your, your, in your mind, the tax collector, the most hated person, how could he, that person, if he was up in a tree in our day, I think we'd say, hey, burn the tree down with Zacchaeus in it. Because that's where we are in our day, in our worldly positions, with anger, with contempt, with polarization. And yet what does Jesus do? True, saturated, salvation-centric peace. He doesn't burn down the tree. He says, Jesus, you come down from that tree. Zacchaeus, you come down from that tree. And he goes to his house, scandalous. But you see, Jesus, why does he do that? He sees a redemptive ark with peace. The greatest enemy of that day, tax collectors. I'm going to your house. I'm going to confront you with truth because I'm actually seeking peace. And what do we see? It doesn't just change Zacchaeus individually. It changes society. If you know the story, Zacchaeus is convicted. He is changed. He does experience true peace. In that true peace, he experiences true repentance. He, he gives away half of his possessions. He pays back four times what he took. This is the kind of peace that we're pursuing, that we're praying for. A truth-saturated, salvation-centric peace. Are you praying for that kind of peace? Over the, whoever the tax collector in your mind is, whoever the Nero is in your mind is, are you praying for them? Are you speaking out truth, salvation? Do you have a redemptive ark in mind for your enemy? Do you want them to come to know Jesus? Like Antifa. You want them to come to know Jesus? I just woke some of y'all up, Okay. Like the Democrat, do you want them to come to know Jesus? Like that friend on Facebook that you blocked a long time ago, do you want them to come to know Jesus? Do you want to speak truth to them, not avoid issues, but still call them into to a salvation-centric peace? Do you see them as somebody Jesus died for because guess what they are? The Republican, the Democrat, Every person who thinks differently than you, 
Do you see it that way? In the midst of crisis, we're Christians. We're kingdom citizens with kingdom purposes, overworldly positions. Do you operate that way? Are you praying that way? Listen, friends, just like with Zacchaeus, that's what it's going to transform society. Not just individuals, that's going to transform our culture. Some of us are thinking in the midst of crisis, we need a change. That's how the change is going to happen. It's through a radical peace, a truth-saturated one, a salvation-centric one. And it's not just some people out there creating policies for that. It's the church living that out right where we are. Even when it costs us and even when it's uncomfortable, Paul says it. why do we live this way? Because it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, not because it leans into your comfort. Some of you are thinking, Tim, this is going to be hard. Yeah, that's when we need the grace of God. That's why we're praying and fasting for 21 days, because we can't do this on our own. Because apart from God, we can do nothing. That's what he's talking about. But with him, we can see not just ourselves changed, Not just our biases change, but our whole societies change. That's what we're after, and that's what this can accomplish. And some of us think, well, Tim, yeah, but you don't understand the other side. I mean, what if they're sinning? Okay, if if, if they're sinning, Scripture tells us, Galatians 6, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. You address it, but you do it in a spirit of gentleness. It's truth-saturated, salvation-centric. Well, Tim, what if this other side, they're leading people astray, they're teaching wrong doctrine, they're teaching wrong things. I mean, they're they're mishandling the word of God. I mean, they left the word of God behind a long time ago in their party or their side or their statement. What do we do with them? We just overlook it? No, 2 Timothy 2.25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. We correct other people. You could do that in seeking peace. How do you do it? With gentleness. See, I'm not saying you can't have conviction, not even politically, not socially. I'm saying have conviction socially, have conviction politically. But as a kingdom citizen over your worldly position, have that conviction and have it with compassion. I'm not saying you can't speak up or speak the truth or you need to remain silent. I'm saying speak up, speak the truth. Make sure it's the truth of God's word and not just speaking your truth, okay? Speak up, speak the truth, but how do we do it? in love because we're kingdom citizens pursuing kingdom purposes praying for that over and above worldly positions church imagine a church that were to live this way imagine the big c church if it would rise up in this way how would our nation change how would our world change that's what we need in the midst of crisis that's how we face it the last point we pray for leaders but we only pray to god we pray for leaders but we only pray to God. Look at verse five. Paul goes from talking about leaders, kings, high positions, and he wants to make it clear, verse five, there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Hey, just so you're clear, pray for people in high positions, but you trust, you follow, you worship the one true God, the mediator between God and man. It's Jesus Christ. Functionally, for many of us, we confuse those two at times because we see these leaders on TV and these, these, these uh, political leaders right in front of us, particularly right now in a transition, and it seems like they have all the control in the Senate. If they get this majority, they have all the control, and they're right in front of us, and, and Paul says, you need to look up, not in front of you. 
You need to, Colossians 3, those who have been raised with Christ, you set your mind on things above, you fix your mind on it. Because why? Why do you have to set your mind on God, the one true God mediator? It's because every other leader and influence is gonna pull at you every single day. And Paul wants you to know, and God wants you to know, hey, there's one true God. And so yeah, pray for leaders. Put your hope in God. And make sure you do that. Church, there is one God, one God. And it wasn't Nero. And it's not Donald Trump. And it's not Joe Biden. And it's not you or your side or your political framework. There's one God, there's one mediator, and his name is Jesus Christ. And guess what? He doesn't transition power every four years, he reigns for all of eternity. And he has no rival. Are you putting your trust in him? Are you setting your gaze on him? Without him in your life, none of this peace, none of this conquering in the midst of crisis is possible. That's what we need. We'll end here. Verse six says that Paul says, this one true God, Jesus Christ, he did something. He gave himself as our ransom. What that's referring to is the cross of Jesus Christ. What that re is referring to is another crisis and another government. In fact, the greatest crisis that human history has ever known, it was the crisis where a government put the Son of God on a cross and they killed him. It's a bigger crisis than we're in today. And yet it's through that that God, through Jesus Christ and that crisis on the cross, it's through that crisis that he ransomed us. That word ransom means to pay the death that we deserve because of sin that would rescue us from our death and give us eternal life in him. So as we fix our eyes on God, we can know our promise today that God still conquers even through the greatest crisis, not despite it, but through it. How do we know? We look at this big shiny cross and we're reminded that through the greatest crisis in all of history, that through that crisis, Jesus Christ crushed the head of Satan, that he put an end to death, and he rescued us from our death, and he did it through a crisis. So Christian, we can be confident in the midst of crisis. We can know and believe and live as if God still conquers, even through the greatest crisis, whatever crisis comes next week, because there's one coming. Next week, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, a few months from now, I'm going to think about and wrestle with, should I change my sermon topic? It's going to happen. But how can we, listen, church, I am confident. I'm not excited about the crisis, but I am confident in the midst of the crisis because I can look at the greatest crisis and know that God still conquers and we can face it that way because we're putting our hope in the one true God. He still conquers. Do you believe that today? Are you living that way today? If you're not, I would ask you, hey, don't, don't turn this off so quickly. Don't just leave and go to lunch so quickly. Deal with some conviction in your heart. Ask God to change you. Maybe for some of you, if you're honest, you're just saying, Tim, I have put some worldly positions over kingdom purposes. And this week I did that. This last year, that's all I've done. 
And, and if we're gonna fix our eyes on the one true God who ransomed us, who conquered death even through the greatest crisis, if we're gonna fix our eyes on him, if we're gonna cling to him, church, we gotta let go of some other things. And maybe that's a side, and maybe that's your news source, and maybe that's how you spend your morning, and maybe that's your sin, and we need to let go of some things so we can cling to the one true God who ransomed us from death. He's our hope in the midst of crisis. Will you cling to him? Will you let go of some other things to do that? Don't leave here without considering that in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you conquer even through the greatest crisis. And many of us this morning, as I look out on this room, as I imagine the people watching on this screen, how they're experiencing crisis. And some of it's out there in our nation, but some of it's in here, in our home, in our heart, in our marriage, in our life. God, some of us are turning to every other outlet and every other self-care and strategy or escape or numbing. And we've forgotten to turn to you. And God, I pray right now that we would let go of those things, that we would name them. And as we embark on 21 days of prayer and fasting, God, we'd be honest with you right now and just commit, maybe lean to a friend and commit to give up one of those things and to pursue you and to let go of those things so we can cling to you because we can't cling to both so that we might see that, God, you are a conqueror in the midst of my crisis, and I can proclaim that, and I can live that way no matter what occurs over the next couple weeks, no matter what occurs over this next year. God, may you give us individually and corporately as the church of Jesus Christ that kind of confidence. May we be emboldened as we leave here because our eyes are fixed on you, the author and the finisher of our faith. God, you would use us to bring peace, true saturated, salvation-centered peace, not just in our city, but in our world. We pray that in the name and for the fame of Jesus Christ. Amen.